that it was shortly after eight o'clock that he probably killed himself, even though the police did not find him until 1 a.m. Hi, my name is Daniel, and this is the Death of My Podcast, um, episode four, where I am talking to my friend Pam, who about 17 years ago's brother committed suicide. And I feel like she um, did an absolutely incredible job talking about it and I think giving some people some sort of hope while walking through grief, especially about uh, with suicide. Um, the way that this podcast is laid out is I um, will interview a guest after at the end of every episode, my wife Amber interviews me. So there's this continuous story while you listen to the podcast. If you listen in order, you'll kind of hear my journey about how I'm dealing with my grief and and my struggles with the death of my dad. Um, so thank you so much for listening, and I'll talk to you soon. Hi, it's your dad. Just calling to say hi. Check it up and see how you're doing. I hope all is well. Everything's pretty much the same here. I'm doing okay. Love you. Thank you again for doing this. Sure. Okay. So, um, maybe can you tell us a little bit about yourself? Who you are? Uh, my name's Pam Economides, and I'm, I will admit, I am over 60 years old. <laughs> I have two daughters who are grown and living away from home. Uh, my husband, John, and I have lived in San Diego for 30 years now. And um, we're enjoying being here in Encinitas near the coast. Um, let's see, I'm ethnically, I'm Chinese, and I throw that in there just because some of the things um, that we talk about may have a cultural dimension to them. Sure. So um, I grew up in a home of uh, parents who are not immigrants, but my grandparents were immigrants to oh. this country. So I am like the third generation, I think, American-born Chinese. That's pretty much my my background, I think. Yeah. Who died? Um, well, probably the most traumatic death I have had in my experience is my older brother. Mm -hmm. uh, he was my only sibling. And um, he died almost 17 years ago by suicide. So um, that that really impacted me, our whole family, um, really hard. If you brought yourself back to 17 years ago, where were you? What happened? Kind of like what was the situation around that time? Um, let's see. We, um, my family, John, our two daughters were living here in Encinitas. My mom called me on the phone one evening and she said, uh, Pam, I want you to get John on the phone too. And I thought, oh, that, that's odd. She doesn't ever do that. And, um, and I said, well, okay, let me go get him. And I, I said, John, my mom wants you to get on the phone too. And then my mom goes, okay, is John there? Is he there? And I said, yeah. Mm. And then she told me, you know, your brother committed suicide. And, um, my first reaction was just a gasp, like, what? And um, 
from there, she told me what had happened. He had been up in Northern California. Um, he was found in a parking lot um, next to his car. He had a gun and he had fired one bullet into his head. And they, um, they did find um, inside his car a letter that he had left for my parents. And um, other than that, my brother had very few belongings and everything was inside the car. Um, and that was, that was pretty much all that I knew. Um, my parents live in Fresno. It's about five to six hour drive from here. So I took a plane and I flew the very next day up to Fresno so I could be with my parents. Um, and because my brother was in Northern California, my father had to go up to identify his body. Um, so rather, and he was gonna drive himself and I said, no, no, I don't want you to drive alone. So a friend was able to come and, um, and drive with my dad. So the two of them went up there together and my dad identified the body uh, and they arranged for my brother's funeral arrangements and came back down, brought the body back down to Fresno where my parents were living. Um, yeah, that was, I mean, that was the initial kind of um, um, initial steps. Yeah. We, Do you, do you remember, like, if you brought yourself back to that moment, that phone call, can you, mm -hmm. do you remember everything? Like, do you remember the feeling you had and the, the mm -hmm. thoughts you had? What, what were some of those, what was your initial feeling and thought? Um, I was, I was very surprised. I was very, very sad. I think my, I think one of my initial, initial thoughts was, that I was very grieved because I had not been close to my brother uh, as adults. We really didn't communicate very much at all. Mm. But my parents, the year before, had had their um, 50th anniversary and they planned a big party and everything. And kind of through that, I had begun to communicate via email and letters with my brother. And I felt like, oh, we're, we're starting to establish a relationship now and at the party it was a lot of fun um he hadn't seen our daughters um and since they had been little kids um so they were teenage girls now and they enjoyed being with him and everything was really really nice and i thought wow this is great we're we're finally connecting um as a family with my brother and his wife and um now we can get to know each other which was something i had always hoped would happen as we became adults so when my mom told me um, that he had died, I just felt really uh, this finality, like, okay, I am never gonna know my brother now. Mm -hmm. I'm never gonna have that opportunity again. So that was very, very sad. And um, I think my other, my other thought was um, that I wished he had gotten some help. I, I knew that he probably had not gotten any help, had talked to no one about how he was feeling. And I just, um, I grieved that too, because um, we have a history of depression in our family and I suffer from it too, but I had been able to get help at the time and, um, and that really made a huge difference. And I just think my brother didn't, um, 
didn't get the help that he needed and probably um, was very lonely when he died. And, and that made me very, very sad. Mm. Honestly, I couldn't even imagine. And, and getting to that place where thinking like, hey, this is it. This is the answer that I, uh, he was married, you said? Yes. Yes. Uh, Although he had gotten divorced the year before. Okay. Uh, a lot of things I came to find out, a lot of things had not gone well. Mm-hmm. And he had been depressed for a while. My um, ex-sister-in-law and I talked for quite a while um, after his service. And um, she told me a lot of things about their relationship that I didn't know. And so things had been difficult for uh the last couple years for him. And I think it got to the point where um, he just didn't feel like there was any reason to go on. Um, what was kind of interesting was after I got to my parents, my parents really didn't know much of what was happening, but the last communication that they had received was an email for my brother and he had told my mom, um, I interviewed at this one company. He was looking for a new job. He had changed careers and he was 48 years old. So Mm -hmm. um, breaking into a a new career was not an easy thing. And he was looking for some kind of marketing job. So he had done a a lot of applying. He had been through interviews and he wrote her and said, I have a second interview with this one company. And uh, if everything goes well, I'll, I'll probably stay and get a place to live in this area. It was um, near Santa Cruz. And, um, you know, I'll, I'll let you know how things are going. And that was the last we heard of him. Mm-hmm. And I presumed that he must not have gotten that job and felt like that was it. It, it was just hopeless. So um, I, we were able to piece together. It's really interesting. I felt like a detective because um, uh, we figured out where the last like hotel was that he had stayed and I called there and they had told me when he had checked out of the hotel and that was three days prior to his death and um, then I realized that if he had gotten a gun because I don't believe he had one before that he would have had to wait three days for the background check Mm -hmm. and once that was okay then he would be free to use the gun Um, so, uh, and because he hadn't probably gotten this job, he just didn't ever respond to my, or let my parents know anything that was going on. So, so I sort of pictured this scenario that he went to the job interview. He didn't get the job. He came back to the hotel and packed up his stuff and, um, went someplace to get a gun to buy a gun and they did the background check i don't know what he may have been staying in his car for the three days um after he left the hotel i don't know but um yeah then then when he had the gun he just um drove his car interestingly enough to a parking lot of a kind of commercial building and it was very woodsy around it because it was santa cruz um but I kind of wanted that particular, actually, I'm sorry, I should back up. We went and visited the site, my family, my husband, my daughters, um, 
several years later, we were driving through Santa Cruz and I said, you know, I'd like to see where it happened. And we knew the address of the building. So um, we went there and saw the parking lot. And I thought maybe it was this building where he was looking for the job. And maybe when he didn't get the job here, he decided to come back and end his life here. And I don't know because the day we went there was on the weekend and nobody was there in the building. But that that always sort of intrigued me. Like, is that maybe what happened? How was it going to see the spot? Like, how did, did you feel a sigh of relief or? You know, it is interesting because I wasn't sure what to expect. I was envisioning, uh, a high-rise building in a very um, urban kind of area, but it was not at all like that. Um, It was kind of like being in the woods. Um, The building was not very big, but it was an office building, and it did have a small parking lot around the backside. And when we drove there, I thought, this is the kind of environment that my brother always liked. And that I could see him wanting to be in a place like this. Um, And so I thought I'm sure that that kind of was some of his thinking when he was figuring out, well, where am I going to do this? Um, That it was in an area that just kind of suited him. Um, And he had gone there in the evening. I'm sure there were no more cars in there. I think it was around... Mm, around eight o'clock, um, we got a police report and there were details in that. So they um, calculated that it was sometime in the evening and that um, that it was shortly after eight o'clock that he probably killed himself, even though the police did not find him until 1 a.m. Mm. Uh, so he had been there for several hours um, until the police found him. Um, one thing that was interesting when we found this spot and we kind of walked around, um, my daughter found these little pieces of glass, just broken glass that were um, on the ground. And she collected them and put them together to make the shape of a little angel. Mm-hmm. And, it, and it was really cool because it looked like a little angel. And so um we decided, well, we should put some kind of a little memorial here. And so um, I have a picture of me squatting down by it. And I can't remember exactly what we did, but there weren't really any flowers. So I think we kind of just made a little cross maybe. I still have the little angel that my daughter put together with the glass. I keep it. Um, But... Yeah, we just made a little memorial, and um, then I, I think some of my questions were answered. In some ways, I felt um, relieved having seen the place because I really felt like, okay, this is where my brother would want to be, and so I was happy about that part of it. But then it, it did raise a lot of questions for me, like, was this the building where he didn't get the job and that kind of thing? So I wondered about. I actually wondered about trying to find out um, from the company that was in that building. But then I thought, you know, that would be just kind of weird. I would hate, I would hate to say I'm, I'm looking for this information because my brother committed suicide here. 
and I, I just felt like I, I didn't want to weird out the people at the company. So, <laughs> that makes so sense. <laughs> yeah, so I didn't want to go that far, but um, yeah, yeah it, it was, there was some closure um, being able to go to the spot and see it. That's really, I'm glad. Is he buried up in Fresno? No, actually, my parents live in Fresno, and that's where we were born and grew up. And they had um, they had actually purchased at the cemetery um, plots for themselves. Um, they had chosen to be cremated. I don't believe they had done anything for my brother because they weren't anticipating that they were going to need that for him. So they went back to the same cemetery and they arranged for his body also to be cremated. And then um, rather than buried in the ground, um, I, they got a space in, um, they called it a tower, like a mausoleum kind of place. And um, so his ashes are in one of the compartments there. Um, and so that, that is where he's at. When you told your friends and the other family, like how did that all go? Um, that, that was interesting too, because, um, nobody knew my brother. I mean, he never came to visit, so nobody had ever met him. All the people that I had grown up with in Fresno, I, I no longer lived there and I hadn't lived there in 25 years. So, um, so it was just a very lonely feeling coming back here and realizing that, um, people would know that my brother had died from suicide, but they wouldn't really be able to talk about it with me because they didn't even know him. Right. And I felt like I didn't want to just go to people and say, do you want to hear about my brother? <laughs> because um, that just seemed odd and I didn't know if they would want to hear about my brother. So, uh, so that was a lonely experience. Yeah. I think not to be able to have anybody who, who knew him, I had really good conversations with my parents mm -hmm. when we were still together um, about my brother and things about him growing up and my parents shared things that I didn't know. Um, so that was, that was really good. I, I felt like I was really grateful that I was able to spend like about a week with my parents after it had happened just to be able to sort of process it with them. Um, so I appreciated that. But, but coming back home, coming back to San Diego, it was just like, well, life goes on. And it very much did because nobody knew my brother. Um, and uh, I could talk to John, but he was about the only one. So what I did do that I'm very grateful I did was I found a grief um, support group uh, at a church mm. nearby. And the program... I, I guess it was just starting up because um, people came initially to the first meeting and the facilitator talked about what it would be like. And she said, if you are interested, uh, we'll meet again next week and please come back if you'd like. And so then the second week when I went back, the group was a lot smaller. There were a lot fewer people there. But interestingly, all the people that were there were all women. And mm -hmm. it just turned out that way. We all had had different kinds of losses but it was a women's group. And, and so that was really nice. Uh, I think we met for six or eight weeks. Uh, and each week the facilitator 
helped us to process different pieces of our grief and do different kinds of exercises and talk about things and share things. Uh, and that was very, very helpful because it was like, these people don't know my brother, but they know what it's like to experience grief. Yes. You know, just being able to be with that group of women uh, was very healing for me. So I appreciated that a lot. But how was it um, with kids, teenage kids mm-hmm. in, mm-hmm. in trying to navigate, you know, not only your grief and your loss, but you're still a mother and suicide and, you know, all that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, since we have depression in our family, I've always been really concerned about my daughters and I wanted them to know um, what to do if they ever felt like they were getting depressed because I really wanted them to not feel hindered in any way if they needed help. So I had talked to them about that. Um, I think actually my younger daughter was about 12 and the older daughter was 15 at the time. Um, But I remember when we got that phone call that night from my mom and after we were talking and of course our girls knew that something was wrong. And so as soon as we hung up, they were just like, what happened? What happened? And when we told them, um, I, I said to them, I want you to understand that what happened to your uncle Rodney was something that it was because he was believing lies in his head and he I, and I believe they were from the devil, that he was no good and that he shouldn't be alive. And I said, and he believed that and that was wrong. And I want you, if you ever feel really badly, I want you to promise that you'll tell me. Mm. And so I made them promise and they did. And um, I think at that point, I just felt like as a mom, I... I just really wanted to protect them and I wanted them to know that you can get past something like depression. You don't have to end your life. Um, And it was kind of cool because when I would come home from my grief group meetings, um, at times I would share with them some of the things that we we had talked about or the exercises we had done. Uh, and that helped me to to feel like I was imparting to them some some aspect of working through the grief too, um, and that 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 was a healthy thing, and and it was okay if they felt like talking about it or if they wanted to work through anything. Um, I was happy to do that with them. Yeah, it's a, it's really actually kind of nice to be able to talk about it now because it's still not something that many people will will ask about um, or want to hear about. But I know from actually my parents getting involved um, after my brother's death, it, it was very hard for my parents to understand because they didn't understand mental illness and they did not understand depression. And um, they just couldn't believe that, that he could have felt so badly that he would have done something like that. And it took a couple of years, I think, for them to really understand, okay, this was a physiological thing. There was a chemical imbalance in his brain. Uh, it had probably started early, like when he was a teenager, because he went through a really rebellious, anti 
parental anti-authority period and had a really difficult relationship with my parents at that point. Mm -hmm. um, and I think he was suffering a lot of depression then, but nobody understood what was going on. And my poor parents, all they could understand was, well, they couldn't understand. It was like, what is wrong with our son? Yeah. And, uh, um, and so my parents were visited by a couple um, who somehow found out that they had lost my brother. I don't even know how they found out. Maybe the police um, had a connection and reported it to them, but they were from a group called Survivors of Suicide Loss, and they too had lost their son. So they went and visited my parents, and they talked with them, and it was so nice for my parents to have somebody to talk to who really understood how they felt yeah. And they encouraged them to come to a, a support group that um, that would really be helpful. So they did start going and they continued to go. And that was huge for them, too. They got a lot of healing by doing that to the point where my dad um, became very involved and actually was starting to facilitate the groups. Um, so he had healed to the point where he was able to do that for other people. And and I remember my mom saying that um, that it was really good for them to feel like they could give back in a way that that they had suffered this loss, but they wanted to somehow give back. So so they did that. So I knew that there was this group called Survivors of Suicide Loss, and they had a chapter here in San Diego. So I did go to them for um, support as well and went to some events they had, and they also had support groups in the area. And, um, and that, that was really helpful too, just to feel like these things are out there. And, um, and you can find them if, if you'll look for them. It's not always easy, and you may not want to go and open yourself up to that. But if you're the kind of person that is really looking for support, I would just encourage you to um to find these groups these organizations uh because they're really great i yeah. i think yeah they can really help people a lot they're they're everywhere and and you know there's religious ones and non-religious ones mm -hmm. there's ones for men one for you know there's so many out there that i'm just so thankful that you know, we can be part of just a little part of this something, mm -hmm. you know, like, and just, yeah. and just keep creating open doors for it because grief is so gnarly. It's, I kind of mentioned earlier, but it's just this world that you don't have any idea even exists until you're in it. Mm -hmm. And then all of a sudden you see that a lot of people are in this. What are your thoughts on death and like what happens after we die? And mm -hmm. Good question. Um, well, I am a Bible believing Jesus follower, so I do believe what the Bible teaches about life after death, that there is an eternal life and that we have the opportunity to receive that eternal life if we can accept Jesus and surrender to God and be willing to live our lives um, surrendering to God, allowing him to be in control is really what it comes down to. And, um, and the whole doctrine of Jesus dying on the cross for our sins. I believe all of that. And, and I have followed the Lord for, well, since I was 14 years old, um, and God has always been faithful. 
to me. Um, I've never had any reason to doubt that, mm. that he is who he is and that I have eternal life by putting my trust in Jesus. So, um, so that, that gives me a lot of assurance. Um, and I, and it's available to everyone, but then again, it's a person's choice, what they choose to believe. But um, that has always been my foundation, uh, I think, to know that I, um, I will be with God after death. And actually, just this last week, I was reading my Bible and realizing that there are passages that talk about... Um, when Jesus died, he rose again. There was a resurrection. He didn't stay dead. And the whole point of him rising again was to defeat the finality of death. And also so that those who are his followers would be able to rise again someday too. And it talks about, um, about Jesus raising the dead from their graves. And I had never really thought all that much about that part of after death um, because it talks about people who are asleep. And I, I think people who die before, before Jesus comes again to earth, which is another doctrine of Christianity before he returns, people do die. And, and I think what the Bible is saying is your soul, your spirit will be resurrected, not your body but your spirit will at the time when Jesus returns and puts all things under his control. And as I was reading these passages, it really hit me that, wow, I am going to come back. My spirit is going to come back to life someday. And that, that also gave me a lot of hope too. That, mm -hmm. um, yeah, this life is not all there is. And I think people um, are really looking for hope these days and um that is something that has given me tremendous hope where would you say you are in your grief now well with my brother um i uh, emotionally uh a lot of the emotion is is gone in terms of the pain of it i feel a lot of sadness and i i think about uh, how he must have felt when he decided that he didn't want to live anymore. And that really grieves me. Uh, I think just to know that people really do suffer. And every time I hear of a suicide, it just hits me again. Like that person felt so desperate, had no hope, and really believed that the only way to escape their pain was to end their life. And that just makes me so, so sad. Yeah. So that that's kind of the grief I feel now. Um, yeah, I, and with the rise of suicide and young people, I, it just really, really makes me sad. And um, and I feel it's really important that our society um, realizes that that this. Well, I know our society does realize that suicide is on the rise, but that there. Um, there are a lot of ways to reach out and help young people. And I'm glad that there are groups like the Survivors of Suicide and other groups. There's something called the Yellow Ribbon Society, and um, they go into schools and, and they talk to like high school kids and they talk about 
um, suicide and, and yeah. basically what, um, what kind of help you can get if you're feeling really badly. And this yellow ribbon thing, it's kind of cool. It's like a little card, like a business card. It has a little yellow ribbon on it. And that yellow ribbon, ribbon symbolizes um, that you need help that you are thinking about ending your life and you need help. And so you carry this little yellow card and, and it says on there, um, I need to use my yellow card now. Can you please help me? Something like that. So you give that card to someone like a counselor or a teacher or somebody like that. And, and they know that, um, that you need help, but, it's a little easier to do that than to go up to them and say, I, you know, I'm really suffering. I'm really depressed. I need help. That is so hard to do, yeah. especially when you feel that way. So just having this tool to be able to hand to somebody um, is a really good idea. So I, I like that, um, that they've promoted that. Yeah. It takes a little of the pressure off handing that card over. Yeah. That's yeah. Huge. I had a friend in that I grew up with, well, middle school and early high school um and then in like 2013 14 she committed suicide and i just not only is it like the the grief of was like helpless but it's like there's nothing i could have done you know it's like this you kind of put on that weight when it's something like that you know when it's something mm -hmm. like like cancer or something that i have really have no control over but when it's suicide it's like gosh, mm -hmm. I really couldn't have done something to help her. Like it's, mm -hmm. it's just a whole nother ballpark when it's people are doing it to themselves. I, yeah. Yeah. Um, do you celebrate any anniversaries or holidays? Anything special? For the first few years after my brother's death, I, uh, because there were so many things that I felt like I, I wanted to be able to communicate to him. I wanted this relationship to develop between us. And, um, and that wasn't going to happen. I felt like I still want to communicate things to him. And so I decided to, um, to write letters to him. And so every year, marking the anniversary of his death, I would go, um, actually, I'd go to the meditation gardens um, in Encinitas because I really, because that spot made me feel like this is where my brother would want to be. And so I would sit there and I have a, a book that I wrote letters to him in. And I did that for several years. I think it was very healing for me to be able to do that. Um, and then I don't know how many years I did it, but at some point I stopped doing that. I felt like I didn't need to do that anymore. Mm. Um, so I don't do that anymore. I do try to stop and remember like April 2nd was his birthday and he would have been 65. So, um, so those kind of things, I just stop and I remember that. Uh, and then the day he died was in September and uh, just coincidentally, it's the day before my father died on the calendar. They just died a day apart, although different years. Yeah. Um, so, so that time too, I stop and I remember um, that that's what that's what happened. Um, yeah, so that's how I've kind of commemorated. 
Um, one thing I wanted to add was when you lose, whether it's, um, you know, like your dad or, or friends or pets or anything like that, does that bring up feelings of, of fear, trauma from pre like your brother? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, at this point, no. I, I feel like the, um, the real sting of the death, um, it's been long enough now that um, it doesn't hit me. I think just intellectually, I feel really badly um, when I hear about that. And my heart really goes out because I know how that feels. And one thing that I've appreciated um, just learning um, because of deaths in our family and um, things that have affected me personally is that um, that people really do appreciate when they know they can talk to you about that kind of thing and that, that you will ask them questions about the person or about their loss because it is so uncomfortable generally in our society to talk about that. Yeah. And so in a way, I feel like, um, okay, I have been equipped in a way to be able to do that now. So uh, I want to use that for good. I love it. I, and you know, and something that's so powerful is that this thing does go away. At least it did for you. And everyone mm-hmm. is, will be different, is different. But for you that there is a sigh of relief, you know, if someone is listening, they're just like, there is hope. There is hope mm-hmm. that the, at least the stinging part will go away. Eventually. Yeah. That's very yeah. nice. Yeah. Um, if you could tell your brother um, one more thing, what would it be? Well, um, well, I would tell him that even though we weren't very close, that I, I did love him and I would have treasured the opportunity to have gotten to know him better and that I, I wish, I wish he would have let someone know how much he was in pain because I know there are people who would have helped him. Yeah. Mm. I just thought about something else too, as a way of sort of remembering um, my brother and my father also is I have, I have things that I've saved that, um, um, relate to my brother. Like I have the police report and I have the, um, uh, I forget what you call the person that, that examines the dead body. Oh, the, um, autopsy. No, you're right. Coroner. I have the coroner's report and I have some documents like that. I, my parents had saved all the letters that my brother had ever written them and the emails and I have the emails I sent to him. So I have all of those things. Plus I have a few items. Um, my mother had his baby shoes bronzed and made into bookends. And <laughs> that used to be a really popular thing. Yeah. Um, and I have his little baby hairbrush and I have gifts that he had given me over the years. And, um, and I put them all in a box um, and 
every once in a while, in fact, I recently went through all of those things. I go back and I look through those things and I read through those things again. And it just kind of, um, kind of reminds me and also helps me to, I feel like in a way to, to be honoring his memory that I go back and I do that. So, and at one point, I thought I had lost those things because I could not find the box that I had put them in. Yeah. And I, it was almost a year. I was just in agony, like, where are they? Um, and then when my daughter came home one time and I told her, she went to her closet and she saw this one box up there and she goes, well, well what's in this box? And it was really odd because I had looked through every single box in my whole house. Yeah. And for some reason, I thought that was her stuff. And I just didn't bother to look in the box. Didn't even took, think about it yet. Yeah. And she opens it up and it's all there. No <laughs> way. If someone is listening who they just lost their brother, um, what's one thing that you feel like can help them, encourage them, or one thing you'd want to tell them? Mm. I would say that for me, it's fun to remember the fun times I had with my brother and they were mostly growing up because um, once he got into high school, he was pretty much alienated from our family. But I, um, but I can remember things that we used to do together as kids and places that we had gone and just good memories like that. And, um, and I like to think about those things. Um, that really helps me, I think, to feel like, um, like there was real good goodness in, in his life and in our relationship. Um, yeah, so that's what I would say. Try to find those good memories. If one of my friends just lost their brother, what, how can I be a better friend to that person? Is there anything I can do? Mm, mm. Well, if you knew their brother, then I, that would you could be a huge support because you would be able to talk about things that you all did together and things that you remember about um, this friend's brother. And you could maybe go through pictures and things like that of, of the three of you together. That, that would be really, um, I think, really comforting for your friend just to, to keep his brother's memory alive. If you didn't know his brother, I think just asking a person um, a lot of the questions that you've asked me, you know, um, how do you how do you feel now that your brother's gone? And uh, what was your relationship like with your brother? And um, were there things that you wished had been different in your relationship? Um, and how did you deal with him being gone? Um, those kind of things. I think just just being willing to ask those kinds of questions, um, people really appreciate that. Um, just the freedom to be able to talk about it and to know that this person, just because they're gone, is not forgotten. Right. Um, that that you, as the friend of the friend, want to be able to help your friend keep that memory alive and to continue to honor that person. I love it. Well, thank you so much for doing this. I really appreciate you and I appreciate you being open and honest and Oh, well, thank you for the opportunity. Okay. Bye. Hi. 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 Hey.
What'd you think? Are you not going to introduce me or what's the deal? This is my wife, Amber. <laughs> At the end of every episode, um, she listens to an episode and then we come into this room and we talk about it and she asks how I'm doing. And this is kind of like a continuous story throughout the podcast. That's How's that introduction? That was good. Thanks. You've gotten so good at this. Oh. It's making me sweat. It's hot. <laughs> um, yeah. So I just listened to Pam's interview yeah. and it's heavy. And I think it's it's not even really what she was saying per se. It's yeah. just because like it's suicide. This so it's like there's this heaviness to it, totally. which is like so crazy. Yeah. Because like. Obviously, I've listened to the last however many, and obviously it was all about death, but there's like this weight to this one where it's like, I totally feel it. But then there's this other aspect where it's like, I can't really put myself in her shoes because I don't know the emotions of that because we're not really taught that. And like, it's not something we really can see on TV and kind of understand those emotions or like see someone else kind of go through at least from my perspective Mm -hmm. so it's just really interesting to me and i just feel this weight now and like this sadness yeah that's what i told and like i i could feel like i could cry at any second so it's like crazy um yeah but there is like so many great things that she said and i really enjoyed listening to her and what she had to say in her story um she did a great job at communicating it and it's been like I feel it's been a long time since he passed yeah. and, and and to be able to recall those emotions those feelings mm-hmm. and and I think I mentioned even in the interview but I couldn't even imagine suicide like you feel there's like a whole set like an extra set of emotions when totally. it comes to suicide and and I definitely never ever would make light of it or anything I don't I just don't know enough about it yeah, Personally. and that's another thing I was thinking. It's like, this is something that our society doesn't talk to. And there is such, like, a shame about mental health. Mm-hmm. And I'm, like, guilty of it as well. Like, sure. not understanding things like depression and just, like, that state of mind. Yeah. And so it's less, it's just, like, I wish we knew more and yeah. could understand more. But yeah. who knows if that would make a difference? I don't know. It's just... Came up when yeah. I listened to it, which was crazy. Well, I think it would make a difference. I think the more we talk about it, and hopefully the more people that we can talk to, I think there will be a lot that can come out of it for not only you and I and the person talking, but for anyone that listens. What did you think about it over Zoom? That's the first Zoom episode. Yeah, it sounded great. Where did you guys see each other? Or was yeah. It, okay, yeah, that's always, what I was yeah. wondering. Yeah, um, I mean, I really, like I said, I really enjoyed listening to it, and I feel like at this moment listening to it, I was like, wow, like I feel like I'm learning stuff from these episodes, which is kind of cool. So I'm excited for what you're doing, and I think you're doing a great job. That's very nice. And I want to cry all the time. Um, But something that I thought was interesting is two things that kind of came up that were kind of similar to your experience was like, She didn't necessarily have all the pieces there when it happened. Mm. And I feel like you didn't really either. Sure. 
So, like, you do have to go into that, like, detective mode and, like, you have all these questions that you want answered. Right. Is that something that came up for you or? I think a little bit. Um, w- The idea of, of she, you know, uh, yeah, what you said, ha- how to go through and put together these pieces and I had to do the same mm-hmm. and talk to certain people. Um, the What's coming to mind is, so... I feel like I'll probably just end up saying this on every episode, but my dad fell and he lived in this home with uh, a lot of other people and they had caretakers there and they lived at the top of this hill and he was either walking down the hill or back up the hill and he fell over and hit his head. Um, It was nighttime, but luckily someone saw it happen. And they're able to run down and call 911. But what is crazy is that I had to figure this out and talk to the lady that saw him fall and, and figure out with the hospital, give him his real name. And and there's, there were a lot of little pieces having to put together at such a crazy time. Yeah, there's a lot. Yeah, that's sad. Yeah, and then I believe she had, or not that she had to, or maybe she wanted to, but she did revisit the scene or where Yeah, she wanted to, yeah. And you as well revisited the area. I try not to think about it. Yeah. I think there is some weird stuff with people and money and stuff, and it wasn't a healthy time. Yeah, it wasn't a good time to go back, and I didn't like it. Yeah, same. Try not to think about it. Yeah. Another interesting thing is that she, Pam, was not close with her brother. Yeah. And that made me think of you and your dad Mm. because you didn't have a close relationship. Right. Well, for a long time. Yeah. It definitely got closer towards the end, which sucks. Yeah. And so a common theme that I've noticed just listening to people's interviews is something that helps people along with the grieving process, is keeping the memory alive mm. of the person. Yeah. Is it hard because you and your dad weren't very close in the like later years of your life to keep that memory alive? No. So it's funny that you say that because I think of times when I was a kid mm-hmm. and then I think of the most recent times I had with him. Yeah. And that's obviously just, I'm just realizing now, but that's just because I didn't have those memories yeah. in the middle. Right. Does it bother you at all? Or No. You just think of the good. Yeah. Because the last, I mean, the last few years I had with him were, well, most of them were good memories. Yeah. Just like talking to him and. Over the phone and yeah. stuff. About like Comic Con and movies and yeah. just checking Common in. Common interest Doritos. Doritos. <laughs> yeah. Oh wow. Sad. Yeah. I think you know grieving is funny because sometimes I can talk about this one like this conversation and I'll be fine. Mm-hmm. But then some other times I get really sad. Do you think it's because of what is said or is it like your mood? or? I think it's my mood. Okay. Because we could say the exact same words twice and yeah. w- I'll have different results. Yeah. And I think that happens with people. Totally. Uh, yeah, I think I'm pretty sad today. I am um, 
it has been a wild of emotions. Mm-hmm. I launched the podcast live yeah. yesterday. And great stuff. <laughs> People are saying really nice things about it. And that made me happy. But then at the same time, I'm, I've been editing today and just talking about certain things and then listening to it, I think because I'm already having like a sad, like emotional day. Yeah. It just makes me sad. Yeah. So it's just hard. And the amazing thing, though, is that this is helping. Yeah, I feel like I can see it helping you, too. Yeah. Which is kind of crazy to witness. Yeah. I feel like it's helping me, too. Oh, (laughs) that's good. That's that's crazy. That's awesome. I think people... Certain people just want it to be like, it happened, it's done, move on. Yeah. And I just can't. Yeah. I can't move on from it. I'm not, and it's frustrating because these people that say this, like, have no power over my emotions or what I can and should feel. Mm-hmm. And it's just on one hand is really frustrating, but on the other, it like fuels this fire, you know, it like makes me want to keep doing this and, and sitting in it because, you know, uh, quite a few people today have said that they've listened and how much it's helped them. That's cool. And that's crazy. Yeah. And it's not even that I'm, I mean, I did ask some people to just give me encouragement, but some people I didn't ask and they're telling me that how beneficial it was. And, you know, some people lived on the other side of the world, and it's just been really, really cool. Mm-hmm. And I just can't wait to see where this goes. And with this, I feel like my grief runs parallel to it. Yeah. So I feel like if this starts doing well and I can talk to more people and it helps them, that helps me. Right. And going through what I'm going through. So that's all. Well done, team. High five. Love you. Love you. Bye. Bye.